Hey, well, good morning, Summit Church Online. It is so good to see you today on our online service. Uh, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. I don't get a chance to say that enough, but we just love our online church so much. And um, depending on when you're watching this, uh, if you're watching this live, today is November 1st. If you're anything like my wife, this is Christmas time. So, <laughs> and uh, so she's listening to Christmas music right now, getting everything together. But I just want to remind you, we have a holiday still to go. And, uh, but man, this is, uh, we just love our online church. I'm so glad that you jumped on today. And hey, if you have a Bible today, and I hope you do, go with me to Colossians chapter two. And I want to share a word with you today that um, has been on my heart the past two weeks that uh, ever since I've uh, known that I was going to do this, that I want to share with you today from the book of Colossians. If you're not familiar with the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church. Most of Paul's letters are from him to a church. And specifically in Colossians, he's writing to the church at Colossae. And what makes the book of Colossians so different from every other book, really, is what Paul does in the book of of Colossians is he exalts Christ. Okay, he exalts Christ uh, more than any other book. And so if you're looking for a letter that Paul writes where he, you just want to fall in love with Jesus, Colossians is it. It's a short book and he exalts Christ. And one of the reasons that he does that is he is writing to a church that is feeling the tendency, that is feeling the temptation to move on from Jesus. They are feeling the temptation to intermix and mingle the things of this world with the things of Christ. And so Paul is writing to this church to say, first of all, he wants to exalt Christ. And secondly, he is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't move on from Jesus. And so he writes to him, and I'm going to read today in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. But I want you to hear this as if this is something that Paul might say to us. Because I believe that, that we are facing many of the same temptations and tendencies that the church in Colossae was facing then. And if Paul had anything to say to us, he might say something similar to what he is saying to the church then. And so I want you to hear this as a letter, maybe even to us. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter 2. Starting in, let's start in verse 6. And he says this, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses, listen to this, this is good news, by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You know, today I want to preach from the subject of the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. And I'm going to title this message today, Jesus is Enough. Jesus is enough. You know, no doubt that if you've been around Christianity for any amount 
of time, then you are familiar with the subject of the sufficiency of Christ, that Jesus is enough. It's something you hear a lot about, the, that Jesus is our fulfillment, that Jesus in him we are complete. This is a biblical topic. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount, he says that I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And the implication of this is clear, right? That if Jesus is enough, then we don't search for acceptance, approval, security, whatever it is, in the things of this world because we have it in Christ. Amen? We don't search for security, for example, in in the amount of money or the lack of money that we have in the bank, but because we have Christ. We don't search for value and meaning in, in social status and promotions or things such as that because we have Jesus. We don't search for meaning in in material objects such as homes, houses, and the type of car, whatever it is, because we have Jesus. And what this is is a recognition of the fact that there are things in this world that are out for our souls, that seek to captivate us as Christians, that seek to lead us astray from Christ. And so Paul is writing to a church, again, that is feeling the temptation to move on from Jesus to move on from Jesus, and he's writing to them to remind them that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is enough. Of course, he doesn't say the exact words, Jesus is enough, but that is what he's getting at. Don't move on from Jesus because everything that you need is found in him. And there are things in this world that are seeking to captivate our souls, but more specifically, just as the things of this world can lead us astray from Christ, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae to remind them that there are philosophies of this world. There are the teachings of this world, the wisdom of this world that seeks to lead us away from Christ. And this is so important for us to understand because we are seeing similar things in our world today where the teachings, the philosophies, the wisdoms of this world seek to lead us away from Jesus. This is happening right in front of us. This is happening right in front of our eyes under our watch, Barner Research actually said, Pastor JP quoted this last week and says this, that what's happening right now in our society is a robust rejection of the Christian faith. A robust rejection of the Christian faith. And this is happening mainly among young people. A robust rejection of the Christian faith. Here's what their research says. Research shows that millennials, that young people, ages anywhere from 18 to 35, millennials are disengaging from traditional Christianity. There it is. There's a tendency, just like the church in Colossae, to abandon Christ and to accept things, to accept philosophies and wisdoms of this world. This is what's happening. They continue to say they're less likely to believe, listen to this now, an absolute moral truth. An absolute moral truth. Now, that is devastating. That is devastating. To abandon absolute moral truth is to abandon God's word. God's word is an absolute moral truth. It's what it is. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So an abandoning of an absolute moral truth is an abandoning of God's word. We're seeing this in our country. The the founding documents of our country is predicated on absolute moral truth. That we hold these truths to be self-evident. Self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights. The chief among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
So it's devastating to society when people, especially young people, begin to, to abandon absolute moral truth. Here's what another study found. It says that among professing evangelicals, professing evangelicals, 52%, that's the majority of people, 52% of professing evangelicals who call themselves Christians said they reject the concept of absolute moral truth. 44% believe the Bible does not condemn abortion. 44%. And lastly, this is not surprising, if, if you deny absolute moral truth, you also deny scripture as God's word. And 26% of professing evangelicals reject scriptures as God's word. This is devastating. And, and you know, what we're seeing in our society today is, is two competing worldviews. And you need to know this. Two competing worldviews. One is a religious worldview, a worldview that we would fall under, a worldview that acknowledges God as the creator of all things, that everything was created by him, through him, and for him, and that we try to live our lives in accordance to his will and in accordance to his word, a religious worldview. But there's another worldview that is, that is being promulgated in our society, that is gaining ground in our society very quickly, again, especially among young people, that we would sum up in maybe what we would call secular humanism, a philosophy of this world, the wisdom of this world, that essentially says that we can achieve what we want to achieve without God, that we can achieve value, meaning, morality, all those things, without God. And really what we began with a, we don't need God, really moved to a, we don't want God. And now we've come to a place where what's happening in our society right now, especially in 2020, is a, we despise God. This is the result of the philosophy of the world that the church is facing now, is we despise God. If you don't believe that, just turn on your TVs and watch it. You can see this on television shows and movies, a mockery of biblical values. And you see it on news that's supposed to be objective. You see this on social media, a, a worldview that is gaining ground in our society today. And at the core of this, and this is going to be a hard statement, but I want you to hear this. This is so important for us to understand. At the core of this is a hatred for God. At the core of this is a hatred for God. This is not me. This is Paul back in Romans chapter 1, writing to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, on to the end of Romans chapter 1, he describes a society that rejects God. And he says they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth of God, that they exchange the glory of the Creator for created things. In other words, they worship idols. They're idol worshipers. They worship things that are not God as though they are God. And at the end of Romans chapter 1, he, he sums up this society by saying many things about them. But one of the ways that he describes them is he says is they are haters of God. They are haters of God. Now, I would assume today if you're watching this, you're not haters of God. But your desire is to please him. But I want you to know today that ideas have consequences. And when the philosophies, the wisdoms, the teachings, the truths of this world begin to prevail, there are implications. There are implications on our faith. There are implications on Christians. You see this in what young people are, are abandoning, traditional Christianity, and accepting subjective morality, subjective truth, my truth, and your truth, rather than the truth. 
And this is happening among Christians all around the world. Here's, here's how it happens is, is that in an attempt to be accepted by the world, because the philosophy of this world, it makes demands of Christians, doesn't it? Makes demands of Christians. It says that, that we have to alter the message of Jesus Christ to be more relevant in the society that we live in today. And so what you see in the big C church, if you will, is in an attempt to be accepted by the world, we submit to the world. That in an attempt to be accepted by culture, we bow the knee to culture. You see this all over the place. Let me give you two quick examples. One is, is a growing idea that we ought to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. This is, this is insane. We can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, but the reason for this is, is obvious. We live in a culture and a society today that can't accept the God that is righteous, that can't accept the God that is holy and that is just. And when you read the Old Testament, you see a God who floods the earth, who asks who ask Abraham to sacrifice his first son, Isaac. And when a world can accept that, what do we do? Unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The problem is, is that if we are going to hold firm to Jesus, as Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, we can't do that. We can't do that. Why? Because Jesus preached from the Old Testament. He believed in the authority, the sufficiency, the inspiration of the Old Testament. Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So we hold firm to Christ. I'll give you one more, and this is really important, especially when we're talking about young people. Millennials. A teaching that says that, that repentance is not the message. That repentance is not the message. The reason for this, of course, is obvious again. We live in a world where the mantra, the, the anthem is tolerance. And so when God comes and calls things sin, we can't accept that. And, but of course, if we're going to heed the words of Paul in Colossians chapter 2, that Jesus is enough and that we're going to hold firm to Christ, we can't accept that. Why? Because Jesus says in Matthew, when he starts his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Do we have a ministry philosophy that we think is better than Christ? Of course not. In Colossians chapter 2, when Peter preaches the first message of the Christian church, 3,000 people, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, are cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart. And they ask, they turn to the disciples, they turn to Peter and they say, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, first words out of his mouth says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. He says, and this promise, and this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God shall call. And I got news for you today. God hasn't stopped calling. And so the message of repentance is no less relevant today as it was then. And so we don't move on. We don't bow the knee to culture and alter the message of Christ. We hold firm to Christ and believe that he is enough. And the church at Colossae is facing this real temptation to move on. This real temptation to move on. And there's so much you could say about the book of Colossians. It's, it's a beautiful book. There's four chapters, but I want to focus in on one verse. When Paul is writing to them, he commands them and encourages them that in the face of a temptation to move on to philosophies and wisdoms and truths of this world, to abandon Christ, here's what he says in Colossians 2.8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. In other words, don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Be alert. Be aware. 
Be active and know that there are forces that are against you. There are forces that are against you that seek to captivate your soul. And more specifically, that seek to captivate the soul of this country. Be active and be alert. In other words, Paul is saying, and this is such a word for the church today. He is telling the church at Colossae to wake up. Wake up. Wake up. In other words, listen, in many ways you could say we have fallen asleep at the will. And maybe that's why we are at the place where we're at today. And it is past time, it is past you, if I can say this, for the church of Jesus Christ to regain its authoritative voice in the culture. To regain its authoritative voice in the culture. To stand even when it's inconvenient to stand. To speak the truth of Christ even when it's inconvenient to speak the truth of Christ. To hold on to Jesus and to believe that he is enough. You know, the founders of this country, they never imagined a world in which the church did not have an authoritative voice in the culture. Actually, they feared it. They feared it. They believed that the system of government that was set in place was predicated upon a moral and religious people. Listen to what John Adams says, our second president. He says, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It is totally inadequate to the government of any other. Listen to what George Washington says in his farewell address in 1796. He says, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whenever may be conceded to the influence of a refined education on minds of a peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. In other words, we need the church. We need the church. We need a church that stands. We need a church that speaks. We need a church that is awake, that is alert, that is aware, that is active in speaking the truth of Christ. Our culture needs it. Our society needs it. And Paul is telling this church in Colossae, see to it that no one takes you captive because there are forces against you. No one takes you captive by, listen to this, by philosophy and empty deceit. So there it is. That's what the church is facing. It's a specific issue. It's a philosophy of the world, the wisdom of the world, the truth of the world. It is empty deceit. It is without substance and it is deceitful. It, there is, a, there is a, a, a purpose behind it. And it comes from two places. You need to hear this today. It comes from two places. The philosophy of this world that makes demands of Christians it comes from two places. It derives from man, and it is motivated by darkness. It derives from man, and it is motivated by darkness. Listen to what Paul says. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. According to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world. When you read the Bible, what you see is a people who are who are. Man, they are caught up in the things of God, the truth of God. Actually, Paul, he says all the time, talking about the gospel of God, the gospel that comes from God, the message of God. In Romans chapter 116, he says that this message is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. And so a clear mark of the philosophies of this world that seek to take us captive from Christ is from man and is according to human tradition. 
But secondly, and I want to spend some time here, secondly, it is motivated by darkness. It is motivated by darkness. And this is, and this is what we have to realize, who our real enemy is. That our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Jesus says that the enemy who is behind this, the enemy, he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. And the truth is not in him. Truth's not in it. We have the truth in Christ. He goes on to say that he is a roaring lion seeking who, may be dev- who he may devour. In other words, he's loud. Have you, felt like, have you felt like lately the culture is, what's going on in our society today, especially in 2020, it's loud right now. It's loud with the philosophies of the world, the wisdoms of the world, which is in contrast to the wisdom of Christ. Everything's loud because he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And his purpose is clear. Listen to this now. His purpose is clear. He comes to steal, kill, and most of all, he destroys. He destroys. Wherever the enemy is found, there is also destruction. Wherever the enemy is found, there is also destruction. And what are you seeing in our society today? You are seeing destruction. Destruction. You're seeing the destruction of truth. Of truth. You just read the numbers that among professing evangelicals and young people, millennials, there is a growing tendency to deny absolute moral truth. In 2016, the word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth. That we have moved on from Jesus. That we've moved on from truth. Of course, this is absurd. We're seeing the destruction of truth. We're seeing the destruction of marriage. Not just in the sense of traditional marriage, but but in promiscuity, the, the idea that commitment is really nothing, that till death do us apart. You watch TV, you watch anything, it, it's, 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 it's an, uh, an applauding of, of people who are not committed to a husband or to a wife. The destruction of marriage, you're seeing the destruction of life. Sometimes daily, um, thousands of babies who are murdered in the womb every day. A destruction of life in our society today. You're seeing the destruction of what it means to be human what it means to be human, that we were made in the image of God, that we have innate value, that he created us male and female. This is a destructive worldview. This is a destructive philosophy that seeks to make headway into Christianity and into evangelicalism. And sadly, people are buying into this. And we have to know that this is from man and it is motivated by darkness. This is principalities that we're battling against. Not people. We love people. We love people, but the ideas have consequences. And Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by these things. It's according to human tradition. It's according to the elemental spirits of the world. And most of all, and you got to hear this, it is not according to Christ. It is not according to Christ. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. This is not according to Christ. He says you can't have both. You can't have both. You can't have the world and Christ. There is no mix of the two. We got to choose. Are we going to bow the knee to culture or are we going to bow the knee to Christ? I think of the words in Joshua when it says, choose you this day whom you will serve. This is what is before us today. Who are we going to serve? Who are we going to bow the knee to? And of course, the conclusion is clear. For me and my house, 
We will serve the Lord. We are going to serve the Lord. We bow the knee to Christ. We bow the knee to Jesus. I think of the words of Christ. Of course, he's talking about money, but the principle still stands that you can't serve two masters. Either you will love one and you will hate the other. You can't serve two. Either we accept the truth of this world or we stand on the truth of Christ. And my encouragement to you today is that in a world where it's becoming more, it's becoming harder to stand for the truth of Christ, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Today I want to give you, as we come to a close, I want to give you two reasons why you can hold on to Jesus. I want to give you two reasons why you can hold on to Jesus. At the end of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, when Paul says, listen, don't do it. Don't do it. They're captivating your souls. It's a philosophy of the world. It's from man. It's motivated by darkness. And most of all, it's not according to Christ. You would expect at this point for Paul to, to move on to some sort of pragmatism, wouldn't you? To move on to a three-step plan and say, and here's how you stay in Christ. Paul doesn't do that. He gives them two reasons why to stay to Christ. And remember that Jesus is enough. And here it is. The first one is he reminds them of who Jesus is. Of who Jesus is. In verse 9 and 10, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, listen to this now, who is the head of all rule and authority. Who is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, Jesus is God. We are complete in him. And he is the head of all rule and authority. And so when the world comes and begins to make demands of us, our anthem is this, no king but Jesus. No king but Jesus. We bow the knee to one Lord, and his name is Jesus. He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. When the world comes and says, you can't accept, the, you can't have a natural reading of this word, science has this proven it, we say, there's one king, and there's one Lord. We bow the knee to him. And you need to understand that he is king, he is Lord, and everything in this world is in subjection to him. Is in subjection to him, is under his feet. He is the head of all rule and authority. And so when the world comes, what we do is we remind ourselves of who Jesus is. And no matter what happens, no matter what happens this week in presidential elections, we say, no king but Jesus. No king but Jesus. We bow the knee to one God. And his name is Jesus. And he is the head of all rule and authority. So we walk with confidence and we walk without fear because we are found in Christ. And he is the head and he reigns in authority. He is supreme and he is sovereign and he is our king. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. He reminds them of who Jesus is. And secondly today, he reminds them of what Jesus has done. He reminds them of what Jesus has done. Starting in verse 11, he says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. Last two verses here, and you got to catch this. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And so when a world comes and says, we demand this of you. We demand that you alter the message of Jesus Christ. 
When the world comes and says, this is not relevant anymore. This word is not relevant anymore. When it makes demands, we say, we serve one king. You know who, you know who bows the knee to rulers? People who are indebted. People who are indebted. But Christ has looked upon the children of God and the legal demands against us because of sin. And here's what God has said. Cancel. Cancel. God has looked at the, his children and he has said, free. We are free. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we owe nothing to anyone except God. And we serve him. We are his servants only. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he's defeated sin. He has condemned sin in the flesh. Sin has been canceled. You are free. You are indebted to no one. And you only owe your life to God and to Jesus. And so we serve our master, Jesus. How did he cancel our debt? He, this he did by setting it aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed, here this is again, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disarmed them. How? By the cross. So when they come making demands, we remind the world, you've been disarmed. When forces come making demands, we say you have been disarmed. God has disarmed the rulers and authorities. He is the head of all rule and authority, and he has disarmed the rulers and authorities. By nature of who he is, he is the head, and by nature of what he has done, he has disarmed. Come on, that's good news today. And you need to remind yourself of that. Because of who he is, he is the head, and because of what he has done, he has disarmed. We have been set free, and we have a secure position in Christ Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. Today I want to end in by quoting a verse in John chapter 6, verse 66, you can go read this for yourself. But In John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching a message that is not really hard, but people are beginning to leave. They're leaving because not the hardest of the message, we know, but because of the hardness of heart. And um, he's gained somewhat of an influence. He has an audience. And again, people are leaving, the Bible says, in John 6, 66, and kind of mirroring what we're seeing today. I mean, if you were at church, presumably, and a preacher got up and started preaching and people started leaving, you would say, hey, listen, you need to get it together. People are leaving. Look, change some, something. Do something. People are leaving. And in John chapter 6, people are leaving Christ because the message is hard. And Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he asks them a question. He goes, basically, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I believe if Jesus was here today with us, he would ask us maybe a similar question. When we live in a world where it's inconvenient to stand and speak the truth of Jesus Christ is found in this word, he would ask us, what are you going to do? Do you want to leave? Are you going to stand? Are you going to stay? Are you going to hold firm to Christ? And I love the, the words of Peter. Sometimes Peter gets it wrong. Here he gets it right. And he, he, he says to Jesus, he goes, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Today, I want to remind you today that the God that you serve, He is enough, and in Him is life. In, his, in Him is life. Come on, let me pray for you today. God, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, the truth of God, the truth of Christ stands forever. Lord, I pray that you would keep us. Lord, I pray for the person right now who may feel discouraged and disheartened because of the things that are going on around us and in our world today. Pray that you would remind them of what, of who you are and what you've done, of who you are and what you have done. And we stand on your word and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey church, it was so great being with you today. I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Hey, as you leave today and as we go about our week, I just want to say this blessing over you. This is a week where you're going to need it. And here's what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Love you, church. I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.